0: tyler smith and this is more than one lesson episode 141 i wanted to say to say a special thanks to uh jeff newberg for filling in last week uh that was uh, an, an odd circumstance because when you've got three co-hosts you do not expect to be left hanging by those three uh seemingly reliable people but here we are um no uh uh the, the plan was to have uh, read on that episode, but he got unexpectedly sick. But Jeff filled in and, uh, I think, made for a really great episode. Uh, thank you guys for listening to it. Uh, if you haven't, uh, I would suggest going and doing so. I believe It Follows is on Netflix. Um, I'm not 100% sure if that's true, but I believe it is. Uh, but even if it isn't, seek it out, watch it, and then go listen to that episode, because I'm, I'm really happy with the conversation that we had. So, continuing with Halloween times... One down, four to go. One of them being this one. Um, uh, our
1: co-host Reed Lackey is back. Reed, how you doing? I'm feeling much better. Okay, good. I'm I'm over my sickness and and yeah, I'm I'm feeling great. Happy to be back.
0: When I am sick, I I tr- I don't usually uh, shy away from recording because often my voice has more of a husk to it, and I feel like I sound. I'm going to go ahead and say sexy. Oh, I think I sound particularly sexy right. when, I, when I have a, a certain kind of cold. But I was actually, a few months ago, I was so sick that I literally lost my voice hmm. um, and couldn't talk for longer than like 15 minutes at a time bef- w- before just becoming very thin and hollow and then just going away completely. That wow. had never
1: happened to me before. Um, and that is what happened to you. You literally could not Speak. Yeah, I couldn't speak. Yeah, my uh whatever. I had a bad throat infection. Not quite sure what it was, but uh, but yeah, my throat completely closed off. So yeah, by the by the time the the, the time would have come for us to need to record, I was utterly inaudible. I was it was not gonna it was not gonna happen despite all my disappointment and wishing that I could make it work out. But I think Jeff did a fantastic job. I completely agree uh, at that. He he just brought such a fresh perspective to that entire episode. And I loved listening to it. So, as much as I regretted not being able to be a part of the conversation, I loved hearing it anyway. I do appreciate that you listen to the episodes
0: that you're not a part of, Josh Robert. <laughs> you know? I think it's, at the very least, it gives you something that like, you can reference episodes that you're not a part of. Oh, and true. just, you know, that you have an appreciation for this thing that you're a part of, Josh Robert. <laughs> so, uh we can I've come across as really bitter to my co-host today. (laughs) I apologize. Uh, I'm fine to make fun of Robert and Josh to their faces, but
1: I should not do it behind their back. Hey, listen, I'm not just one of the co-hosts of more than one lesson. I'm also a fan.
0: That's right. That's right. Because, and you know what? It occurred to me, like I'm not making fun of them behind their back. If they listen to this, (laughs) But they're not. So they're not okay. going to. So, you know, here we are. There it is. Um, okay. So now that uh, we've outed me as a horrible person, <laughs> um, I was trying to think if there's any announcements. Uh, there are not, except that Halloween times is going to continue. And next week, we will be talking about. And I would try to tell, I, I want to say this so that people, you know, can, uh, can anticipate and. Watch Because I know a lot of people want to watch the movie beforehand and then, uh, and then listen to the episode. So next week we will be talking about uh, The Babadook, my favorite movie of last year. It's an Australian horror film. It is available on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, so go and watch it. The companion film will be Forbidden Planet, oh. which I need to rewatch. Uh, and I'm excited to do so. Uh, and then we will uh, continue to make announcements as we go on. So this week... We are talking about Rodney Asher's "The Nightmare," which also just popped up on Netflix. Yes, which is very exciting because um, it's a film that I really enjoy, and I highly recommend people see. So if you haven't, if you're listening right now and you haven't seen it, you can go and watch it very easily right now, and it'll be a whole lot of fun. Well, hang on now, <laughs> fun might not be it. I okay, a little bit of background. Um, so Rodney is a friend of Battleship Pretension. He's been on twice. Um, he's a really great guy. I really respond to the way he makes movies. Um, it's odd that the last two movies he's made have been documentaries because I don't mm. think that's how he started. He's been making short films with, uh, other friends of the show like Josh Fadem free and Pat Healy for years. Um, but always with a horror mentality and always with a, a certain sense of humor. Um, so it's just, his has been a very odd career. Um, and I will say, so the film that he made before The Nightmare was Room 237. Yes. Which was which I also one, saw. Which was one of my favorite movies of that year. Um, I just really respond to the way he makes movies. I think he makes them w- with kind of an odd... First off, the way he cons- the way he conceives of projects at all is fascinating to me. Um, he didn't make a documentary about The Shining when he made Room 237. Mm. He didn't. I don't think he even necessarily. If you want to get broad and lofty about it, as I do, I don't think he was even making a movie about people's reaction to The Shining. Now, directly, that's what it is. But I think he's make. I think he makes a movie about art, yeah, and how invigorating art can be because you can have several different people look at one work of art and come come away with completely different interpretations, even some that are so outlandish that you can't possibly uh, believe them. But then they might say the same thing about your interpretation. Right. That to me
1: is invigorating. Yeah. You've seen Room, t- room Two Thirty Seven. I did, and you know what's funny is the first time I saw it, um, I did not, I did not respond to it very positively. But I think you just hit on why is because I was very much expecting. I knew it was about The Shining, so I was very much expecting something that was a bit more. Uh, comprehensive or, or perhaps mm-hmm. behind the scenes. So it was jarring for me to see the movie that I saw. Um, I've since revisited it and liked it much more. The thing about Rodney Asher's films is the, the first time I saw Room 237, I firmly liked it. I didn't really like it. I didn't love it, but I mm-hmm. firmly liked it. And then watching it again, I liked it much more. Yeah. Uh, when I saw The Nightmare, I really liked it very beginning but now having rewatched it again to prepare for the episode i think i love it so yeah. it's like he's his films have a kind of quality that once you've seen them and know somewhat what you're getting into for a for a repeat viewing i think they reward uh further visits and being able to dive into the information again
0: and i think along with rewarding for uh re-watching i think it also inspires it I I don't think they are movies that fade from your memory. I think because he makes movies with a very specific pacing, Mm. there's there. I I would venture to say they are meditative. Um, Mm. I think Room Two Thirty Seven certainly is the way that he will just focus on something, and just very slowly push in on it. Mm-hmm. It gives you time to really take in what you're seeing, but also what you're hearing, and really think about it. Like, it, it, I feel like his films really burrow into your brain, and even if you only like them, yeah, they're not going anywhere. Right? There are movies that you might love that kind of fade quickly. I don't think his movies do that. I think his movies oh, just kind of – plant just sort of plant a seed that just grow and grow and then i think you find yourself being like i want to watch that again yeah and then when you watch it a second time you wind up liking it even more i think that was i mean i loved the nightmare and room 237 on first viewing mm. but then on second viewing i think that's when i find myself certainly with room 237 finding myself in awe of exactly what he's doing and how he's doing it and with the nightmare i've now seen it three times mm. And each time, uh, so when I first saw it, I have this weird thing that I feel like if I know about something about like behind the scenes stuff, I feel like the work of art, or the, whether it be a book or or a TV show or a painting or or a movie, um, I feel like if I know about what went into it then I can maybe hold myself apart from a little bit. It's, it's kind of a coping mechanism that I have oh. with horror specifically. Hmm. Um, I remember when I first watched It. Yeah. I was such a Tim Curry fan before that, that I just figured like, well, I know that Tim Curry's playing this clown. I know that. So because I know that, that well, this is the guy, this is Wadsworth from Clue, <laughs> and this is Dr. Frankenfurter. Like, This clown's not going to be frightening to me because I will see an actor making choices. Oh, poor you. That it's a coping mechanism that has never worked (laughs) and yet I still somehow cling to it. So I thought knowing that the nightmare was going to be frightening and that people really freaked out about it. um, I thought that, well, I know Rodney, Mm. you know, and I, and so every choice I make, every choice the film makes, I feel like I'll be like, ah, I can imagine Rodney making that choice and maybe I'll be able to hold myself back from it. Oh man. Not the case. It has freaked me. And then the second time I saw it, and then the third time I saw it, I thought, well, I know I've seen the movie already.
1: Right. It's not going to freak me out. It got more unnerving for me the second time around. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. And for some reason, I keep
0: keep returning to it when I'm going to go home to an empty house. Hmm. When I first saw it, Jen was out of town. Yeah. And then I came home, and it's like, well, looks like I'm staying up till dawn. (laughs) <laughs> uh, for a number of reasons. One, I never sleep well when she's gone, but also it is like, well, I'm not, it's like, I don't want to go to sleep. It, it literally is, yeah. that is the kind yeah. of film which just like, cause if ever I'm frightened from a horror movie to the extent that it kind of sneaks in, uh, after the movie's over, uh, I'll be laying there. It's like, well, if I just go to sleep, then my fear is gone. This one it's no, when you go to sleep, that's when the fear that's begins starts. Yeah. And, um, and so, and then, uh, just watching it. Uh, so I just got back from a trip to, uh, to Denver and I watched it with a friend and then I come home and Jen is also on a trip elsewhere. So there's a couple of days when wow. I've got the house to myself and the house never seems bigger than when I'm, a, when I'm scared. Sure. And mine is not a very large house. It's a townhome. <laughs> yeah. And yet somehow I'm just like, oh boy, I feel like there's just monsters everywhere, obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just a very effective film. Now, here's the thing. Listeners who maybe haven't seen the film, as I describe it, they might not immediately think that I'm describing a documentary. Right. They might think I'm describing a horror film. And because there's a lot of reenactments, it could an argument could be made that it's not a straight documentary, but it is. Yeah. And I find it incredibly effective and... So I feel like we've we've kind of talked around the film uh, mm. for a while and talked about our expectations and that sort of thing. Um, so let's let's jump into it, but let's jump into it in a, in a different way, in a okay. in kind of a roundabout way. Listeners, if you heard, if you went back and listened to the more than one lesson episode about do you believe, mm. you would hear not only was I in the midst of uh, losing my voice uh, from that illness before the episode started before we really got into the episode josh and i were talking about dreams hmm. and i had mentioned, you mentioned that a nightmare. couple days yeah. before i had had a nightmare that was so distinct and so unlike my usual nightmares that i took special note of it usually my nightmares have to do with spiders hmm. i'm going to say 90 to 95 percent of the time <laughs> spiders are involved yeah uh because as we all know Spiders, yes, yes, yes. I understand that they kill insects. Who cares? They would also kill you if they had the chance, (laughs) and they regularly do. That's what makes them monsters. We should kill all of them, and we'll figure out a way to kill the other bugs. Yes. All right? Spiders are monsters. Here's how you know. Every Halloween times, I, I find... I find myself talking about how horrifying spiders are because I'm thinking about what scares me and spiders are what scare me. Um, if you're watching a fantasy film and, and they decide, Oh, you know, it would be really scary. A giant version of a certain type of animal. It's only ever two yeah, snakes, snakes and spiders. That's how you know they're monsters. Mm hmm. Because they work better than, you know, it's just like, uh, let's make a, a giant rat. Eh, that's not that scary. Hmm. Rats are vermin. They're not monsters. Spiders and snakes are monsters. Yeah. So, anyway, just putting that out there. Uh, yeah, if you like spiders, stop. Um, <laughs> I know somebody, uh, a fellow critic, uh, Aaron Newworth, uh, has a pet tarantula. Ugh. And uh, it bothers me. I feel like I can't be friends with him.
1: Do you know what's weird about tarantulas specifically is that... They're hairy? Well, they're very hairy. But tarantulas are the only spider. And I do mean the only one. Well, you know, there's certain... Uh, like, tarantulas are, are gigantic. Yes. So it takes away one of the things I'm most terrified about spiders, which is that I'm not going to see it. Yeah. Um, so that that's removed because a tarantula you see coming. They're very slow. Yeah. And I know for a fact because i obsess over things from time to time that that if it bit you would be the equivalent to just like a bee sting it would yeah. not it would not be harmful to you so the fact that they're big slow and relatively harmless tarantulas don't have the same sort of freak me out effect i i'm not gonna take one home as a pet right but they don't have the same impact to me as say the other evening when i open up my patio closet. Uh Should I I not tell the story? Go ahead. Um, When I open up my patio closet to get out something in just the tools that are sitting up there and, uh, and I need to go through, you know, a box that's in there and I open it up and there is a rather sizable black widow right there in the middle on the box and you know, my son is meanwhile begging like, "Hey, can I go outside in the patio and play on the swing?" And I'm like, "No, son, stay inside." And I think I'm literally telling like there's something dangerous out here. so so please stay inside." And I'm having a very sort of um sort of very childish reaction of terror and fear and simultaneously trying to be an adult. And read, you had just encountered a monster. well, I see exactly All right. exactly. And so uh, so I got the raid and saturated the cardboard box with mm-hmm. the raid. And then, you know, and I apologize to any listeners who feel like this is cruel, but I have a very very strict policy with spiders. I do appreciate the fact that they kill insects. I do appreciate the fact that they serve a certain uh, uh, ecosystem benefit. But Mm -hmm. I want them to do their business in private. And I have a very strict policy with spiders. As long as I don't see you, you're fine. You lived your life. Be happy. Have a family and do whatever you want to do. The moment I see you, your career is over. Period. If I see you, you're done. I have a zero tolerance policy for it. Do not, uh, you know, uh, fine. Call me whatever you want to call me about that. We, We have this sort Sort of uh, understanding that with the exception mm-hmm. of tarantulas, because they're big and harmless, uh, then I'm going to leave them alone. But if I see another spider in my home, now that's a different thing. If I see you like in a bush, sure. I'm just going to walk around. I'm not yeah, going to yeah. go out trying to hunt these things down. But if you're in my home where you could potentially, and I see you, then I'm sorry, your days are over. Yes. Uh, you know, prepare to meet your maker because you're about to. Um, so anyway, that was... And even your maker would be like, why did I make you again? Exactly. I don't
0: remember. Are oh, you yeah. a product of the fall? Yeah, I think a, you must
1: be. You're the curse of sin on the world. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> we needed to personify it. Um, yeah. So here's, a, okay, real quick. I'm so sorry. Uh, we'll get to my terrifying nightmare and then transition into the film more. I apologize. Um, so, yeah, I, I do not agree with you about tarantulas. Here's the deal. They move slow in the same way zombies move slow. Yeah. Right? Yeah, okay. Because you know why? Cuz they got all the time in the world. Cuz they're monsters, they'll get you eventually. Wow. All right? And they're like they just and like, yeah, yeah, they're harmless, whatever. They're harmless if you if you don't first have a heart attack from fright. Okay. Okay, which you will. <laughs> because they're huge. They can eat birds. They can eat birds. Reed, they can like can. in the amazon? Yeah, no they can. They're like a f- okay, they can be like a foot, a foot in diameter. Yeah? Are you kidding me? Uh, this is Read? Uh, I don't care if they're harmless. They're monsters. Uh, they yeah. would kill you if they could. Okay. All right? Fair. Oh, fair believe enough. me. A tarantula Oh, it would it's oh it curses. It curses the day <laughs> that it had that it realized like, "Oh no, I my venom can't murder humans." Everything about me wants to, but I can't. Oh, so frustrating. No. I'm a tarantula. Even the name sounds terrifying because it's complicated yeah
1: (laughs) spider simple black widow simple tarantula it does sound like a greek like villain doesn't it it? (laughs) yeah like (laughs) oh yeah i have to go slay the tarantula Uh, yeah exactly (laughs) it's uh, it's like minotaur yeah exactly Uh, it falls right in line did you see the 1950s film tarantula uh no but i did see anatomic spider just eating the town oh well of course yeah i did see uh uh
0: kingdom of the spiders Oh, okay. With yeah. William Shatner, which is a, an awful movie made for, that is not scary in and of itself. Like they don't make any choices that are scary, except to be surrounded by tarantulas. Terrifying. Enough. It's just like, you can make a kitchen sink drama. You incorporate more than one tarantula, which is another great podcast. <laughs> um, and you've got yourself a horror film Oh. for a couple of scenes. Home Alone is the scariest movie I've ever seen. Yes, yes. Poor Daniel yes. Stern had to have a tarantula put on his face. Are you kidding me? hmm That's the bravest actor I've ever seen. They should have won an never mind. simply yeah, for that. Never mind Harold Russell in the best years of our lives. <laughs> Daniel Stern in Home Alone is the bravest actor I've ever seen. <laughs> okay, fair enough. We can move on. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Listeners, you need to under... Okay, I'm sure you think I'm overstating. And I guess, objectively, I am. But I, we don't live in an objective world, all right? Subjectively, they're the worst things ever. Oh, I yes. Can, this is a t-shirt, and I think I might need to just order one for myself. Uh. If you're not scared of spiders, you're not paying attention, mm-hmm. all right? Go watch Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Oh. Go watch... Uh, uh, lord of the rings uh, return of the king yeah that's what spiders are in essence mm-hmm. all right they're just not that big but it, uh. with all what they wish they could be okay we can move on i'm so sorry halloween times no i just need ugh. i know even cold thinking you know even talking something. about it yeah. i found myself being like there could be a spider right underneath this table this table is not uh, clear Okay. You know, I wish it were cla- it were glass, so that I knew for sure that there wasn't a tarantula about to crawl up my leg. Like, oh, a tarantula crawling in my pant leg.
1: Oh, uh-uh. well, now now it's over. Now I'm itching everywhere. Yeah, oh,
0: absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> See, that's that's the sign of a true monster. They they'll make you do it to yourself eventually. Yes, just the con- just the the thought of them, they're scaring you already. Anyway, so I had this, so I had this nightmare that involved. A little girl, shrouded completely in black, I could see no details. Basically, like a silhouette, she had blazing red eyes, and she was holding a knife. And she was standing at the bottom of my stairs, and I was at the st- and I was at the top. And she just slowly but surely was wa- was walking towards me, as I was frozen, couldn't move, and was terrified. And then I woke up, uh, making a noise. I wouldn't say screaming, but making a noise. Mm-hmm. And I was drenched in sweat and really freaked out. And I thought, that's a particularly, that's a, that was a very visceral experience. It was a nightmare that I'd never had before and haven't had since. Um, so, then, a few months later, I go see a movie by a friend of the show, Rodney Asher, that I had heard about. Yeah. It's about sleep paralysis, which is this weird in-between state between uh, sleep and awake, where your body can 't move, and your mind doesn 't seem to know what to do yeah you 're not asleep, but all the stuff that your brain releases so that your body doesn 't go running around while you 're asleep uh, it 's still in play, and so you can 't move, and your mind freaks out and and like either projects things you 're not completely awake you 're not completely asleep you 're in this weird in between uh state and What's particularly fascinating is that the mind does seem to create in that state particularly bad things. Yeah what fascinates me is that like maybe maybe this is the case, the film doesn't really explore it. Are there instances where sleep paralysis create somebody in sleep paralysis has pleasant
1: visions, pleasant, Dreams. They reference one okay. in the film. They reference literally a single instance. Yeah, and it's it's the 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 woman. I apologize. Like they focus on eight people, and they give the names of each of these eight people. Right. But but uh, due to either my inattention or a lack of constant recurring uh, instances where they mention the names. I've forgotten some of the names of these people, but there right. is a lady um, who describes that one point she goes into a sleep paralysis but and she feels someone getting into the bed mm-hmm. um, and she said she she feels and hears the bed depress and it turns out to be the voice of her mother. Right. And that she feels... Who had passed away recently. Yes, her mother had passed away and that she she felt unlike her other experiences with sleep paralysis where she felt terrified and frozen she felt very warm and right. very serene she felt very happy she described it so that's the the only instance that I can recall from the film where they talk about these same things happen but in this instance I felt comforted and warm and happy um, all the rest of the instances they they describe something very frightening or at least yeah. at the very least unnerving unnerving happening in this instance and what's particularly fascinating to me and i have no doubt that
0: this is why the film was made is that people from completely different cultures Mm -hmm. completely different centuries it would appear people that don't know each other yeah they tend to see or dream what project whatever you want to say the same thing yeah. Uh, th- there seems to be like a cast of characters in the movie of sleep paralysis. There's like uh, they they listed. There's like an old hag. Mm-hmm. There's a cat-like creature or like a small demonic type creature that will uh, sit on your chest. Yeah. But what is particularly common is the shadow man, mm-hmm. uh, and diff- slightly different variations of that as well, which is this. Completely black, shadowy figure, almost as in silhouette, just enters your room and is walking towards you, and you can't move. Yeah. And in some cases, blazing red eyes. Yeah. Oh, my. When I saw the film and I saw that, and I saw that that does seem to be a common thing, I immediately thought of the dream that I had had months before Mm -hmm. and just thought, like, can't move, silhouette, blazing red eyes coming towards me, terrified, unlike any dream I'd ever had. And I was just like and then I remember in the in the film, Rodney himself mentions that he'd had this, he'd experienced this once yes. in his life. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, okay, well, if it can happen to him once, and if other people experience maybe once, it doesn't necessarily have to be a nightly situation, then maybe Maybe I experienced it, so I actually emailed Rodney oh, yeah. uh, after and said, "Like, hey, uh, I think this happened to me." Yeah. And so it was just very, uh, it was very strange. And so I feel like a, a low level investment in the film because it, it caused me to realize that I that I think this is a thing I experienced, and and I'm trying not to be like, uh, like not a hypochondriac, but you know, people who read WebMD and think like I have this, right? Like the specificity of it makes me feel like now they never say little girl so maybe that's a maybe that uh, disqualifies me but everything else seems pretty specific yeah um so yeah it uh so it's just a, an odd, i don't know it's an odd uh i have an odd investment in in the content of the film but um but yeah, so that is what the film is about. It, it interviews eight different people mm-hmm. about their sleep paralysis, but then it will go and reenact the things that they describe. Yes. Um, sometimes it's uh, they shoot at POV, sometimes you see the person laying in the bed and then these things interacting with them. Uh, but because it is a reenactment and not merely just interviewing people, um, the film does feel like a, a more conventional horror film. Yeah. Um, and so as I was watching it, uh, I could not help but feel the, the fear. And then these images are so, you know, Rodney does such a good job of creating a mood when doing these reenactments that I couldn't help but take it with me when I left the theater and think of it as I lay in bed, alone in my big dark scary house (laughs) um and uh yeah so we can go into a bit more detail about it in a moment but uh but yeah a lot of that is some is some odd um some odd uh prefacing as far as my reaction to the film uh what was your expectation of the film what was your uh you know were you Thinking that you might have a certain reaction, and you had seen Room Two Thirty Seven before, yes. did that
1: play into what you thought you were going to think of the film? Uh, I went into the film pretty open minded. I did not know anything about sleep paralysis. I myself have never experienced anything like that. I've certainly, as all people probably have, have had nightmares um, to the degree where I would have a physical reaction. Like right. you know, e- even even relatively recently, my wife, you know, would mention like you know, honey, you were you are making noises. You know, frightened noises or so, something like that in your sleep, and then I would wake up and go like, "Yeah, I, w- I was having a bad dream," but it wasn't <clears throat> specifically like a like a paralyzing thought. It was. It felt much more like uh, what you would commonly think of as a dream. So when I went into it, I was again thinking, "Okay, I'm going to get uh, this sort of more." Uh, I think. It has to do with what I think a documentary is and how I think it's supposed to operate. And this is my ignorance that I'm about to display. Okay. Because I, all, I typically think I'm going to get something very academic and any sort of experiential connection I'm going to get with the film is going to just be a byproduct of how connected I am to its subject. Right. But the way Rodney makes these films, they're, it's very much about you, you're sort of experiencing it and the, the specific sort of more academic details are pushed way to the background, if they even come up at all. Right. It's much more about experiencing it. So my reaction to it was, I think, stronger than it would have been had it been a merely sort of like this this textbook level. This is what they say sleep paralysis is, and it affects these people, and they've done this chemical. Rather than that, I'm hearing these stories, and I'm having a response, a reaction to the stories that people are telling. Like, what would I do in that situation? How right. would I, do, do I even believe this person? Yeah. And 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 do I immediately, like, what's interesting about it is that it's a lot of times you'll watch these films, and, and especially with documentaries, you'll have an immediate sort of, I like this person or I don't like this sure. person. I like all these people, mm-hmm. even the ones that I disagree with their assessment of what's happening to them or even their, you know, coming out of it, their their general interpretation of what this is. Even if I disagree with that, based on the evidence at hand, I like all of these people, and I, yeah. I think Rodney did a really good job of letting people tell their story the way that they wanted to tell it. Um, at least it sure felt that way, regardless of all of the enactments that he did. And you know, now that I think about it, because I, I
0: you 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 said something that really struck me is this idea of of I don't know just. Uh, approaching documentary like it's academic Mm. um which i I think i kind of in the same way um because a documentary i tend to feel and i don't think this is correct but i tend to feel like the goal of most documentaries is to get information across Mm. first and foremost right but that's not necessarily true right um sometimes it's just to like literally document something that is happening in real life Mm -hmm. um but you can't do that with sleep paralysis yeah, unless you. I guess you could just put a camera on somebody and just let that let it roll, but you're not gonna you're not gonna experience it the way they are. And it occurred to me, and you had, and you mentioned like, do I believe this person? Mm-hmm. Because if this person's merely just talking to you and saying I'm experiencing this thing, and it's something as as crazy as that, first off, you might think like, well, surely it can't be that bad. Surely it can't be every night. Surely you know whatever it is, right. just. Because what they're describing is so extreme mm-hmm. that it just feel that you can't imagine what that might be. It does seem now that now that I'm I'm thinking of it this way, it's almost as though Rodney's first priority is you are going to empathize with these people. Right. I'm going to create their dreams or their paralysis visions, whatever you want to call it. I I want to create it so vividly that you feel that you are frightened that you see the shadow man walk in and I'm going to have it be POV so that when he leans into the frame inches from the camera you are immediately jarred oh, man. like I that's what I want to create so that you are having the reaction that these people are having so and that when they say yeah every time I go to bed this is what I what I dream so that you come away feeling again even people even people that I feel like I probably wouldn't get along with this person. Mm -hmm. I don't, it's like, we don't agree on a lot of things and I don't really like their general attitude, but boy, if they're experiencing this, they certainly don't deserve to be. Nobody deserves to experience this every night when they go to sleep. It just generates empathy for people and you just feel like I, I feel so horrible for them. Thank God I don't have to deal with that. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard enough to deal with a 90 minute documentary, um, much less, Having to deal with this every night and feel like it 's just going to get worse and worse mm-hmm. um, and so i i I feel like the, I feel like he couldn 't be academic about it because to be academic is to just leave those questions in your mind and to create doubt when what he wants to create is empathy, and so mm-hmm. I feel like this is the only way you
1: could make a documentary about sleep paralysis, yeah, and you know it 's funny if you look on to guess i I get frustrated a lot of times with, um, like, particularly, as I'm sure any movie fan is, I, I frequent IMDb a lot, mm-hmm. both for information and then also to see what people are saying in response to the film and everything. Um, and then, boy, uh, few things in the world have the ability to incite my ire than uh, yeah. user reviews on IMDb. Sure. Um, but... Uh, But, you know, some of these are not overwhelmingly positive. Many of them are. Yeah. But some of them are not overwhelmingly positive. And most of the things that they critique is that it is not more academic. But I think you've really hit on a really good point that it's like the purpose and intention of what the filmmaker is trying to accomplish by studying this subject. Yeah. That's of the utmost importance. And if his first goal is not to inform, but is more to generate empathy for these people, then he has done so incredibly successfully um and and i never i don't miss the information it it generates a sense of mystery and there is it's a mysterious thing Mm -hmm. one of the, the, the this might be a bit of a of a tangent but one of the things that i think we detriment ourselves with in trying to figure everything out um is there is a lot of profound mystery in this world Mm -hmm. even the things that we know why they happen and what causes them to happen uh something as simple as trees shedding their leaf shedding their leaves in the winter and then and then sprouting them again in Mm -hmm. the spring like okay we know why that happens we know that this is the function of a tree and 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 we we've documented exactly what causes it to happen and everything but it's still Somewhat of a profoundly mystery, mysterious thing that that it will that it will happen this way. Um, and there's an
0: element to that where we all know it's going to happen. We know why it happens, but those do not; those facts don't actually affect the way we respond to the fact that it, uh, that it is happening. Like when like people talk about. Uh, it's like oh, I love such and such I love New York City in the fall, just to see the leaves change to see them fall to the ground and just like, oh, it's such a wonderful time they're not talking about the fact of it they're talking about a certain intangible aesthetic quality that mm-hmm. is is visual and then the person uh, uh, translates into emotion yeah and maybe even a certain degree of sentimentality and the academic appreciation for that seems to exist in a uh, in a completely separate part of the brain than the way people actually approach these things. Right. I'm sorry. Go on.
1: Oh no. That's yeah. And th- that's right in line with what I'm thinking. That that we we can sometimes want to. I think we when it comes to things that we are in awe of and that we like. You mentioned you know aesthetically find beautiful. Uh, then. It won't the, – the academic portion of it won't cause us to lose the wonder or the uh, the awe of it. But we badly want to reach this academic information when it comes to things that frighten us. Mm-hmm. Because the moment that we can can sort of systematically understand it, then we can at least take a step towards controlling it. Yeah, and, it's,
0: it's me saying like, well, Tim Curry is playing exactly. Pennywise. So it's fine. I understand – the, at least the making of the film, and that will make help me from not being
1: frightened by the film. Exactly. And as you've experienced with that, uh, we had a long conversation about spiders. I, I could know definitively, 100%, that the creature crawling towards me is not harmful to me as an adult human being. Right, And I am still afraid, and he's still going down. Because, yeah. because rationale thinking does not necessarily help when it comes to fear yeah when it comes to things that that unnerve us and frighten us in the same degree as it doesn't really uh, uh, the the sort of twisted thing about it is that it doesn't help with fear it can sometimes dilute your wonder Mm -hmm. to know why something happens or something that you find marvelous or or uh something that you find uh that you're awestruck by sometimes knowing the mechanics of how it works like figuring out how a magic trick works can sometimes just dilute the power of the trick um but then in it just for some reason does not work that way with fear fear is not a a rational thing if you're afraid of something you can look at every statistic that you want to look at you can examine all of the the, the factual pieces of information, that fear is still going to be prevalent. And getting back to specifics of the nightmare, like you really sense and feel the, the, the terror that comes with this experience, even from people who are many years accustomed to dealing with this experience. Yeah. Like it is still a terrifying thing. Um, I happen to remember his name just because it's Forrest. Yeah. Uh, one of the characters in the film, talks about how he would lay in bed as a child and just just beg he doesn't say that he's specifically praying but just beg please not tonight not tonight not tonight not tonight
0: yeah
1: and i'm thinking like this is this is a child laying in there like having to do that about something that his body needs you need sleep you need rest but he's he's just petrified by the thought that maybe he will have this profoundly negative experience when he does go to get what for many of us is like an opportunity to recharge our batteries yeah and he is about to enter into the realm of of horror and uh and again i just think the film does a really good job of making you feel what these people have felt and i think part of that is due to the reenactments because mm-hmm. some of the reenact some of the reenactments are eerily effective yeah um i'm thinking specifically there's one girl and i have forgotten her name but uh there's one girl who's talking and she t- describes laying in sleep paralysis and just hearing the sound as if someone is right by your ear and they scream and she talks about it for maybe four or five seconds yeah but she says yeah it's it would be like if someone was right by your ear and they're screaming you know like they're screaming and then hey uh rodney introduces a figure into the side of the frame, very jarringly and suddenly with a very high volume scream and it causes you, the viewer to jump. But that's the thing is, is he's, he's putting you in her shoes that you wouldn't experience it just by hearing her describe it. Right. Uh, You're suddenly arrested by it the same way that she is in the midst of her paralysis. Yeah. So he does an excellent, excellent job of putting you in their shoes and making you, feel what they feel. And you want, by the end of it, almost as desperately, you want to hear the stories of like, oh, and then, you know, I took this pill or I went to see a hypnotist or I did this thing and now I'm free from sleep paralysis. And that never, with one exception, that never really comes. And I'm sure we'll be talking about the exception more specifically in a bit. Yes, we will. but, uh, But that never really comes for these people. These people deal with this and they deal with it uh, they, they've they kind of come to terms with the fact that they're going to deal with it for the rest of their life. One person even says he's he's confident that it, it's what will eventually kill him.
0: Yeah, it's it's a very... There, there's a certain degree of fatalism to it all because what I do like... The, the film has such a wonderful progression. Um, the film does sort of have chapters okay. um, where, you know... And it does seem to... Again, it... it Let's continue with this idea that the film is made, maybe not first and foremost for this reason, but, like, with an idea of, like, I want viewers to empathize with these people, which Mm -hmm. means you're going to go on their journey, which is, hey, this is starting to happen. I'm noticing this is happening in my life. Frequently. And I don't really know where it comes from, but I've noticed that it's continuing, so, just a, an initial, the recognition of what it is. Yeah. And that it's a little strange and very frightening. And then he moves into the chapter that I think is simply called, it's a thing. Yeah. You know, and, and I like the phrasing of it, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, it turns out this, it's a thing, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, which means it's not just me. And the, the excitement and the revelation of the revelation that like, oh, I thought it was just me. It's not. It's a lot of people. Thank God. Mm -hmm. And then one, one, uh, interviewee says like, well, if it's a problem, that means there's a solution, Yeah, you know, or at least a a treatment of some kind. And so you have the, how invigorating it is that these people go online, they search for it and find that a lot of people deal with this and that they're not alone. And the excitement of that, and then the eventual realization of there is no, pill you can take there is no solution to this right and then it's okay i know what it is i know that i can't make it go away so how can i avoid it so then you get into uh the chapter about avoidance right and the things and the coping mechanisms that these people have come up with um and then it goes into a chapter i think called now it hurts yeah And, and you have and just and i do love I'm a big fan of that sort of thing, uh, of a chapter being so full of meaning, or a chapter head being so full of meaning, and the understanding of the, the progression of that. Yeah. Like, I remember, this is uh, strangely off topic, um, Ray Romano's autobiography. Hmm. Or whatever you want to call it. It's. I mean, it was some of it was like a mixture of like bits that he had done on stage. Oh yeah. Um, where he was just talking about his family, and then he had a chapter where he was talking about his daughter, and just like how awful it, it was, like dealing with her as a little kid, oh. and just like how exhausting it was. And then he said, he goes, he goes, I he goes, I cannot imagine anything more difficult. Than ha- than dealing with this kid, and then the next chapter is called the twins. Yeah, and it's such and like, it's such a wonderful moment mm-hmm. as I read that, which is like he sets up, sets up, sets up. Like, man, how horrible this is! I can't imagine anything worse. Oh, there's two of them. Yeah. <laughs> there's now two. Are you? Ki- it's just yeah. Little things like that, I find very. Satisfying, yeah. Because you know, and so it's you know, okay. We're trying to avoid. We're trying to avoid. We're trying to avoid. It's not going to work. Now it hurts. Yeah. Are just it's going to get. It's never going away. In fact, it's going to get worse. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I like is the guy that you mention, who who kind of has resigned himself to the fact this is his whole life and it will probably kill him. He talks about sleep paralysis. Honestly, the way that. I have talked about I and other people have talked about depression hmm. and about mental illness in general which is it almost has a will of its own which is oh you want to avoid me like this I'm sorry that's not how this is going to work I can adapt to what you are throwing at me. Yeah. Um I remember back before I was I went on antidepressants a friend of mine um in fact I think it might have been co-host Josh um said because I was saying, like, you know, I just I, I feel like I shouldn't go on antidepressants because it'll take away my personality and and that sort of thing, and and I feel like it'll take away whatever edge I might have. It'll take away, and I won't be funny anymore. I won't be I won't be so sh- I won't be as sharp as I would like to be, and and all of that. And I also feel like it just makes it'll just make me weak, and that I should be able to just that I that I'll be a failure, and I'm admitting defeat mm. by doing all of this. And then Josh said, he's like, well, you realize that that's the depression telling you that, right? Mm. And that it will want to preserve itself. And, and I had heard something like that before, but I, but by, by making it seem like it was a a living thing that wanted to, that wanted to make sure that it's not going to be stamped out or hurt or anything like that, that it tells you, it, it gives you these things. And so, um, so I, find, I found that very interesting. And so when the, the guy, Chris, um, who is if, – if there is a main character, if there is a, a lead of this film, I'd say it's probably him. Yeah, either He's him the, or Forrest. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so the way he talks about like he would leave a TV on uh, because the sound of the TV would would t- tended to relax him a little bit. But then the sleep paralysis adapted to that. So then he added another TV and then another And then another, and it's a wonderful reveal, uh, on Rodney's part where it just slowly pulls out from one TV to two, then to four, then to, and you realize it's just a whole stack of them that are on. And, um, and so, and then he says, he goes, and in the end you realize that you can't actually avoid it. And all you've managed to do is create a more adaptable and more complex sleep paralysis yeah that has had to adapt to these things and now it and now it has that in its arsenal mm-hmm. and so it, it so the the way the film is the way the story is told if there is i wouldn't go so far as say it's a story it's just the experience of having sleep paralysis it doesn't go into it just as far as the recreations which is this is what it's like to have it in the moment it's also the, the the way the film is the way it unfolds it's this is what it is to have it your entire life yeah this is how it is to experience it over and over and how you'll feel as you go years with this thing and it's just a so much of 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 how rodney makes this movie I think shows a tremendous amount of empathy and I'm reluctant to say this because it sounds negative pity on these people Mm. and an acknowledgement of like, I I feel so bad for you. I wish there was something I could do other than simply tell your story. And maybe other people will not even necessarily feel bad for you, but at least understand what you mean when you talk about this. Um, It is – I think it's a very sympathetic and empathetic film Um, that the scarier it is, somehow the more heart it has Mm -hmm. because that's more people that then will say – you know, if any friend of mine ever says, you know, I deal with sleep paralysis, I'm immediately going to think of this film and hug that person and say, Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry – yeah, that you have to deal with this. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, on that level, I think Rodney has made a very effective film. If there is any if I have any issue with the film and I'm reluctant to say it because, you know, you never know if Rodney's going to listen to this. <laughs> um, I think it ends rather abruptly. Um, mm. It doesn't have a great deal of closure. Um, which is okay to a certain extent because these people don't have closure. Yeah. You know, this is going to continue for them, but I feel like there's, it, it sort of fades out, but in a way that it, it feels like it should continue and have a more clear cut end, even if the clear cut end is to say there is no end. Um, yeah. it, it almost feels like he doesn't really know where else to go. And so he just decides, all right, I guess we're just done. Um, yeah but that's that's a reaction that i had actually uh the third time i saw it it's hmm. not one that i thought that i thought of initially or even the second time so maybe i only think that because by the third time i've already had the the other reactions i'm going to have yeah so anyway
1: no i i do agree with you i think especially because what happens is the character we alluded to earlier, the only one who who seems to have beaten it, mm-hmm. um, her her telling about having beaten it is towards the end of the film. It's in the right. last half hour, and so it does feel like you're winding towards closure. So to wrap up uh, on two stories, which are admittedly interesting, yes, but to to wrap up on two stories that uh, d- that seem to be contrary to to that one character who was able to overcome it um it 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 just seemed that the the last section of the film is called final destinations right and i i admit that thematically it could just be talking about where everybody thinks they're going to end up sure um but uh, i agree with you that it does feel a bit abrupt maybe just because of the specific story he chooses to end on feeling somewhat lacking of closure maybe because that's just the last one it feels like it more just stops than it does end and because and and honestly i feel like maybe because um Chris
0: has been such an effective narrator throughout the film. Not that mm-hmm. he is a narrator, but like he he tends to be the one that we keep going back to. Yeah. Um maybe it felt as though that's the one we should end on, but I do feel like maybe Forrest's story is the one that we should be
1: ending on. And you know when I when I saw it the second time around, my memory had completely dismissed Chris's final story. I no. thought Forests about his ex girlfriend and the one I, I assume it's X. I actually don't know if he said I believe they broke I up, believe X. Yes, but the way he talks about her, I was like, well, if they haven't broken up, they they will now. Yeah, um, You're but like you realize that we're still going out, right? Why would you characterize <laughs> me this way? Exactly. Uh, you call me crazy no less than six <laughs> times in in the section, but uh, the uh, but yeah, his story. Uh, Was the what I felt and in my memory was the final beat of the film Mm -hmm. because it is such a memorable story. It's a very distinct story with with distinct language. Um, that the film the film plays around dependent on who it's talking to because Rodney really never narrates anything. He interjects. Right. Uh, there, there's, there's no formal narration in the film. There's a couple of interjections by Rodney, either where you hear them, him ask the subject a question or there's a couple of times where the camera pulls back and you actually see him expressing something of his own personal experience in it. But uh, he really doesn't narrate anything. And so what, what happens is these people, they they tell their stories the way that, that – it gives the sense whether or not this is the case of them telling the stories the way they want to tell it. Mm-hmm. And um, when Forrest tells uh, – where I'm going with that is that dependent on their perspective – They use different language, Mm -hmm. so one person clearly has a um, very—I'll call it—an a-religious mindset. They—they're not anti-religious; they're not like down on religion, but they use the language of dreams uh, or—or you know, more psychological language. And there's a couple of characters in the film who are very clearly very religious. And they use obviously the language of, you know, saying, calling it demons or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, talking about spiritual warfare. And so, dependent on who you're listening to, the language is going to get more or less specific to their general perspective. Mm -hmm. And uh, Forrest specifically detailing that story where it wasn't so much him calling them demons or saying that about that, but but the events in the in the narrative that he's describing referring to them as yeah. demons um that that is just a very impactful story it it stays it's one of the three or four that i remembered pretty vividly before having watched it again
0: and i think it because it lends itself to such a unique visualization you know which is a it involves another person that's true um, yeah And it involves like this blue light and then it involves, I think maybe one of the reasons that I feel like his should be the note that we end on is because he remembers from when he was a kid, like a, like a baby experiencing this. And the images of these alien type figures that are all staticky is very distinct. And then to bring them back at the end and identify them as demons, or at least his girl, his ex-girlfriend identifies them that way. You know, it it I do feel like it winds up being a really good uh bookend. Yeah. Um and there's a nice symmetry to that. But then we go into Chris's story, which is still interesting. Um, but it, it's so fascinating to me that that Chris, and I don't want to condemn anybody's approach to this, because, you know, they're whatever they have to say to get them through it as much as they can Certainly. is is understandable. Um but it's interesting that Chris at one point he says that he immediately stopped after, I think after it starts to hurt. So after it starts to have like physical ramifications as opposed to purely mental or emotional, Mm -hmm. he says, he's like, I immediately stopped being an atheist. But -hmm. then he also tells the story about sleeping next to two women. And, uh, right. and, he's dreaming that this big black figure with blazing red eyes and horrifying teeth is just like saying these horrible (laughs) demonic type things to him him, yeah and then the girl next to him screams because she was dreaming that a black red-eyed cat was like whispering things to him Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and just like you know i i hear that story and it's like Well, gosh, that's an odd coincidence. Yeah. Um, And it just seems to me that, you know, as someone who experienced that and then says that he can't possibly be an atheist anymore, that he still stays kind of academic. And maybe his coping mechanism is to try to pull back and look at it academically and try to figure out uh, this idea of, well, maybe we're just for a moment, we're getting – I mean, it's it's weird. I guess what he's saying is not necessarily academic. It's maybe a bit more spiritual. Um, but he's saying it in a very, uh, I don't know, in a very, um, not necessarily withdrawn way, but uh, he does seem kind of pulled back from things. Yeah. Distanced, I guess you could say. Um, where he talks about, you know, maybe for one moment we're getting something pulled back and we're seeing the world for what it really is. We're seeing what's really there, which is a spiritual element that... That is invisible to most, mm-hmm. but we select few get to see it and see how terrifying it can yeah. be. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And, oh uh, yeah. And that and and to and I can definitely understand why Rodney would want to go out on that because it's such an uh, such an interesting idea, um, but filmically it's maybe not the most compelling unless you want to try and visualize it some way. Yeah. Which I think, and it took me three times before i i think I, I i started coming to coming up with a theory as to why rodney will occasionally let us see some behind the scenes making of stuff you see a soundboard you see monitors you see green yeah. screen there's this one wonderful moment where there's you know a set and you yeah. see one black figure walk away from one person's bedroom walk down a hall put on a cloak and walk into another person's bedroom. Um, as we go from one story to another. Yeah. And, but it's clearly, it's clear that this is a set and that they're in a warehouse or, or, you know, a studio. Um, and for, for the first two, I was like, why is Rodney including this? Don't get me wrong. I think it's interesting. Right. But why is he including this? Um, and the third time I feel like by locking into what Chris was saying at the end, that we're getting to see something, we're getting to see a world that would be invisible to us most of the time. I feel like I started to link those things together, hmm. and that we're seeing these figures just kind of walking around, going from one person's life to another. We're seeing somebody kind of c- controlling it all, um, and I don't know. And that we're being allowed—that we're being allowed to see that. I don't know. I feel like I, I I drew a connection between those two ideas Mm -hmm. and that there's, that there's like an organization between there's an organization uh, of this sleep paralysis thing. Um, And that may, and I don't know, I do not know Rodney's uh, religious ideas. I, I, I don't know if he believes in like the spirit realm or, or angels or demons or God or Satan or any of those things. I don't know if he believes that, but uh, I think enough of the, People in the documentary do, at least yeah. in some way, that I think he decides he wants to show that there is like an organization to this and that it's not just random and that all these people seeing the same things is because they are in fact the same thing. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. That's kind of what I concluded
1: from the incorporation of the behind the scenes stuff. I don't know. What did you think? Uh, almost identical to yours. Okay. I, my, my, exact impression was we're seeing the the uh sort of the puppetry Mm -hmm. behind these things that it's not um if you see it as a sequence of similar compartmentalized events Mm -hmm. then you can explain it away by brain chemistry you can explain it away by um any number of just similar experiences like no. oh you have your similar experience we've all lost someone we've all uh, you know we've all suffered defeat at some point those can be compartmentalized experiences but by showing the, this shadow man literally leave one room by the way walk by a room where a person appears to be being strangled by yes, another shadow man I did notice that and, and just, just walks by it and then steps over and then a stage hand an unadorned Out of makeup, completely generic stagehand, throws a cloak over him, and then he goes in to torment the next individual. My immediate impression of it, the first time I saw it, and it was uh, entrenched more the second time I saw it, was these are connected all by a similar external conscious force, um, and... I don't know if I would feel confident saying that I think that's Rodney's view, or if Rodney is merely invoking it as no. a possible explanation for all of this. But I definitely got that no. distinct impression, and I don't. I don't know if this is the right time for this or not. Uh, but uh, one of the things that I that I think I should probably do a little bit of definition of the terms. I've I've been on the show to talk about The Exorcist. I've been on the show to talk about The Conjuring. Um, so any any uh listener tracking my specific individual theology m- would probably already know this but I do believe in um in a a, 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 a not only just in spiritual warfare but in a um, a demonic force I'll, I'll say it in as broad of terms as I can possibly say it like I, I believe in a malevolent conscious uh unseen force that seeks to uh, to undermine all of the of what you would call good in your life, yeah. your joy, your hope, your peace. Um, I could get into deeper specifics about how I believe those things operate and what a, what I purpose I believe that they uh, uh, are trying to fulfill. But I do believe that there, that it's entirely possible that these instances of sleep paralysis, because of the commonality of their stories, the things yeah. that they all share uh, uh, in in terms of specific details, uh, but also because in my theology and in the way I operate in the world, I believe that there is an unseen, malevolent force. Uh, uh, malevolent, I said, <laughs> malevolent mm-hmm. uh, force that's trying to to uh, undo you. So I I see this film, and I'm you know very frequently going to that place. Yeah. But I think that the film also does a good job – the reason I don't think that necessarily Rodney is saying that as his viewpoint and merely sort of invoking it as a possibility is that the, the film does spend a good degree of time offering at least the the possibility that this is merely you know a common sure. chemical thing. It's just, it's just a condition of uh, the chemicals that your brain generates because of sleep.
0: Um, Throughout the film, he will often cut to an image of like synapses firing.
1: Yes, yes, so there exactly. is that as well. Yeah, and and just ba- maybe this is all boils down to basic biology. Yeah. Um, and, and what's it, have you ever seen uh, the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose? I have not. Okay, it's uh it, it it's a film that I think about a lot, and I, I would even go to say that I really like it, although I don't like some of the conclusions it comes to. But it it, it does a good job of presenting both. The uh, I don't like thinking of the distinction between, say, what an atheist would think about things and what I would think about things as a Christian mm-hmm. uh, as religious thought versus non-religious thought. Right. Um, when it comes to these subjects, whether it be sleep paralysis or possession or even subjects or discussions of evil, I prefer to use the terms – you're either thinking of it in natural terms or supernatural terms. Sure. Because um, somebody who does not believe in God and does not believe in a, per, perhaps a, a, a spiritual realm uh, beyond just energy uh, might take these things and, and, and might talk about a, a malevolent force or a force that's trying to, to actively undo you, and they'll think I'm a lunatic mm-hmm. because they, they don't think that that's possible in the world and that's and or that they don't think that it's natural it's there's not a a natural phenomenon to explain that maybe if you get into like quantum physics and alternate dimensions there no. might be a possibility of 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 talking about these kind of things um but uh
0: but and the, they they actually do for a moment entertain that uh in the film like yes a the guy brings blocks. up somebody else's uh theory that like there's this big apartment uh, mm-hmm. building, and every apartment is like its own little universe. And occasionally, we like there's like a hole in the wall from one apartment to another, and we're seeing little glimpses of another universe. Right. So there even is a little a little uh, nod to that in the film.
1: Yeah. Um, so there might be some possibility for somebody to think of even things beyond the realm of our explanation as natural phenomena. Um, but I, of course, being a Christian. Uh, I will automatically go to to the idea of you know I, I adopt uh, C.S. Lewis's definition of of this uh, of what evil is and how it operates in the sense of just uh, he saw it and described it most specifically in the Screw Tape letters and and treated it as if it was an appetite. Uh, which could never be satisfied, mm-hmm. so and I think I may have even mentioned that before when we talked about the conjuring, but that uh, that there there's it's like this appetite, it has to feed on your joy and your peace right. and your hope because it has none of those things in and of itself because right. it's been separated, again, this is Christian theology, it has been separated from God, which is the source of peace and joy and hope. So it has no choice but to feed on the joy and the peace and the hope in uh in in human beings uh because it can never have it for itself it's like shang sung in mortal combat that's
0: the you first ha- analogy i always think of. <laughs> like when Liu kang says you you have all these other souls but you don't have one of your own yeah it's it's
1: pretty complex message <laughs>
0: <laughs> Boy, did I not expect I was <laughs> going to make that reference.
1: I'm sorry, go on. No, that's okay. I, but, you know, just in sim, in, in as broad a terms as I can possibly define it, If you, if you accept, and maybe you don't, but if you accept that there is a conscious, invisible, malevolent force that's trying to undo you, the reason for that would be because it's trying to feed off of your peace and your joy and your hope because it has none of its own and it will never be satisfied. It will constantly have to to keep returning to this. So if you accept that, you can hear these stories of sleep paralysis and that's one of the first places you're going to go. If you accept that as a possibility, then that's one of the things you're going to go to is, well, maybe this is what's happening. Maybe it's actually a spiritual kind of oppression. One character even says that in the midst of a sleep paralysis episode, they, they awakened – well, they didn't awaken, but it appeared as if they had entered into what they describe as an oppressive yeah. atmosphere. Yeah. Um, uh, something that was just heavy and <laughs> thick and, and darkness. Incidentally, we haven't mentioned it yet, but the aesthetic of all of the interviews – taking place kind of in a shadowy room, uh, I thought was a really smart choice for him as a filmmaker because it's this constant and relentless feeling like you're always on the verge of something creeping in from the edges.
0: Well, and also, uh, huh? and that's interesting, actually, now that I think about it, there are two people for whom it is not in a shadowy room. It's the people that think overtly spiritually.
1: Yeah, that's right. These
0: rooms tend to be bright and white. Anyway. That's true. It's interesting. I just yeah. realized that. But uh, the thing about the shadowy rooms and with often like a, l- a lone source of light uh, is that, yes, it still looks dark and paranoid, mm-hmm. but it also looks so lonely.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and, and I feel like that is a, a theme amongst a lot of the uh, – all of these people, in fact, yeah. is that they are just so alone. Mm-hmm you know and if and if in fact part of the goal of this film is to get people to empathize with these people then obviously one thing that you will need to try to focus on is how often when you're dealing with this or and honestly you could say it about depression or any other mental issue you you tend to feel like you're the only one that has this yeah. and or at the very least you're the only one that has it as bad as you do right you know? um uh, my uh, acquaintance, Paul Gil Martin, who does the mental illness happy hour. Um, he ends every podcast by saying, you're not alone. Mm. And I feel like that's a thing that, uh, that this film tries to, to focus on. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, you're right. That's uh, that is a common, common thing amongst the, the, the interviews, the interview subjects. Um, so uh, we should not necessarily wrap up. I don't think we're that, we're that close, but we do have a hard out. Oh, uh, yes. It <laughs> kicks in and about, 13 minutes. Oh boy. um, Yeah. So I do want to move into the companion film very briefly, and then we'll get into some larger themes. And before we talk about the person that uh, uh, gets a certain degree of resolution in their sleep paralysis uh, Mm. journey. Um, I did want to talk about the companion film, which I was reluctant to pick this because it's got the word in the title. And I didn't want Mm. people to think that's why I I, I decided on it. Uh, But I decided to go with Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street, which uh, with this, which this documentary references uh there is a section where a they times, where they yeah. talk about movies that seem to draw from uh sleep paralysis imagery right um and one of them is nightmare on elm street uh especially when there's the shadow man but then there's another guy that they refer to as the hat man oh it's guy, yes it's, it's a shadow man who's got a fedora mm-hmm. and he seems to be in charge yeah um which i, I i'm fascinated at the notion of that And so you've got Freddy Krueger, this guy who shows up in your dreams and just terrorizes you. He's got that fedora, and while he certainly is not a man just cloaked in shadow, and there's a a real specificity to him. um, uh, The you know people who deal with sleep paralysis do definitely seem to uh look at nightmare on elm street and think oh wow this is eerily familiar yeah
1: this is what i deal with yeah and i, I have to say before we move into this uh film i have to give a, a shout out to my wife specifically because she has a fasc, she has a fascinating and very specific uh terror of of freddie krueger <laughs> interesting because uh because she uh she's i i, I realize that this is going to be somewhat traumatizing uh for my wife to listen to but uh she uh, she she's in the same time kind of kind of interested and excited to hear what we have to say about it um uh one of the things specifically about nightmare on elm street um and and again before we get too deep and not to derail us too much but of course just a mere uh, less than two months ago west craven passed away yes um and uh, his influence on the horror genre, specifically with this character of Freddy Krueger, yeah, um, is almost incalculable because I mean Freddy Krueger is one of the, uh, one of the most truly original, movie monsters. I mean, in all of cinema, because yeah. you could argue uh, that uh, the, uh, certainly Dracula and Frankenstein's monster, um, but even to certain degrees, like the Wolfman, are creatures of literature first. Yeah. Um, but but Freddy Krueger was conceived for for the film world. Yeah. And uh, and is utterly um, a unique entity in that he attacks you through your dreams uh and so you're you're it's amazing to to me to think that when people first heard this idea so many people thought oh well, no it's just a dream people won't be scared of that right like who would not be scared of of the fact like like we wake up from these nightmares like of course it's a terrifying thing so what if the nightmares had a legitimate tangible effect on you that's a that's an utterly frightening thought well and also the thing that that always gets i think
0: that a lot of the horror movies that freak me out the most or that I at least that I have an appreciation for the concept is there's an element of inevitability there mm-hmm. which is to say the reason that I that I find slow moving zombies so scary is the idea is like if they're running fast then it's just like then there's an urgency if they're going slow there's an inevitability hmm. which is yeah you can run That's fine. Go ahead and run. You'll outrun them. But you're going to have to, you're going to have to take a break eventually. They don't. They will keep coming. Mm -hmm. And it might not be this group. It might be another group. They'll get you eventually. Yeah. They don't need to take their time. They they, they can take their time. They're not in any rush. Yeah. You'll wear out. You always do. Mm -hmm. It's inevitable. With Freddy Krueger and Nightmare on Elm Street, you're going to fall asleep. You need sleep. Mm -hmm. You know, imagine if, if there was like some horror movie where suddenly every bit of food in the world was poison, Mm. you need food, you need water, you need sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course the food thing wouldn't be that interesting. The water thing wouldn't be that interesting. Sleep is interesting because we all have dreams. We our our lives continue. We continue to feel things. We continue to experience things even while we are asleep. Yes. And so imagine, and like you said, it's a situation where most of the time we view sleep as a welcome thing. Just, oh, finally, I'm so exhausted today. Or I've had a terrible day. I can't wait for it to be tomorrow. Or if it's just like, oh, only one more sleep till Christmas. (laughs) You know, whatever it is, it's viewed as like, as um, a welcome uh, relief. Mm Mm-hmm but now it's the thing you're most scared about uh, scared of. Yeah. You know, and I think that's why Nightmare on Elm Street works so well because the only way to be safe is to stay awake, but you can't stay awake forever. Forever. Oh um, yeah. And that I think is is what's so such a brilliant idea on Wes Craven's part. Mhm. Um, but you've seen the film more recent than I have. I've yeah. seen it. I saw it, I think a couple years ago for the first time, in fact, and oh, thought wow. it was very, very uh, effective. It and, holds up so well. And also I think Freddie, not unlike Rocky or, <laughs> or any of these other movies or characters that you, you see the sequels or you just kind of see the impact that they've had on larger culture mm-hmm. and you forget where they started. You know, I think of Freddy Krueger, Krueger is very quippy. Hmm. You go back to that first one, he has a couple things here and there, but he is for the most part just monstrous and just completely malevolent. Oh yeah. You know, he's much more interested in in torturing you and killing you than he is making himself
1: laugh. Oh yeah. I mean, he's got in that first one, he has less than 8 minutes of screen time. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it, he's definitely becomes much more prominent like when you get into some of the later sequels, um, he's he's all over the place, especially by the yeah. time you get to say like Freddy versus Jason. He's in that more than any other singular character, except for maybe the lead. Um, but uh, but yeah, that very first film, it's always just you know he's talked about or he's in the shadows or there's something. I, incidentally, I saw a Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time when I was eight years old, <laughs> and uh, it had such a it had such an impact on me. It didn't it didn't traumatize me uh which is interesting i guess that speaks more to my palate for horror films than it does to to whether or not an 8-year-old boy should be watching this movie which right. i don't endorse but uh but the, the the character himself is incredibly interesting to me because and i think to this is perhaps a side tangent so i'll just i'll hit this very briefly people will often take a film like nightmare on elm street and they'll especially christians they'll dismiss it as like garbage or trash but um but it has a heavy moral center especially the first one i'm not saying that for the whole franchise but especially the first one has a heavy moral center because the the villain of freddy krueger is a, a perverse evil human being yeah who did perverse evil things and the way that they responded to it was to destroy him like yes. to, to, to meet out like mob vigilante justice yeah. frontier justice basically and it, by their meeting out this in a sense by responding to evil with further evil yeah they created even more like exponential evil because now they've given him power in the the, the, the right. dreams of their children uh, which If you, if you explore that to its nth degree is a, is a profoundly interesting moral discussion. Mm -hmm. Um, But you, you seemed like you wanted to say something.
0: Oh, just that, uh, which speaks to, I was just going to speak to the, the, the role of Freddy Krueger in larger culture that, you know, it got to the point where he was like showing up on like, I think Arsenio Hall or something like that. Yes. And what you wanted to say is like, this man molested and killed children. (laughs) Now I recognize he's fictional, and he's making his little quips, but let's not forget and that speaks to like the original film, he was a monster. Oh like yeah. before he was a spiritual monster, he was a literal monster. Mm-hmm. Um and the, and we just completely uh neutered the character <sighs> uh, in culture. Yeah. But yeah, um yeah, that's true. There is a lot going on with that film, and it's and at the same time, you know, when you look at at the situation of fred krueger i was looking at the imdb page and and in the first in the first film he is
1: credited as fred krueger fred freddy yeah. we weren't on that on that basis with yeah. him yet he calls himself freddy once in okay. the film uh he he calls himself that and a couple of times they go back and forth in referring to him as either fred or freddy okay uh but he is definitely credited you know robert england as fred krueger yeah mm. introducing johnny depp by the way oh yeah i know <laughs> so, uh
0: John Depp. <laughs> See, it sound it does it sounds wrong. Fred sounds wrong. John sounds wrong. Yeah, no. Um it's Freddy. But uh yeah, when you look at the specificity of of his situation, that like and the idea of the, the frontier justice that we were talking about, you know, it I, it feels like the, the parents would do any would do what any of us would do, which is, oh, he gets off on a technicality and then but, and he gets set free and it's like, well, he's just going to keep doing this. So we have to literally stop him. So it, it, it does bring up a moral dilemma, uh, on the part of the audience Where like, what would you do? Like, this seems like it's not merely about, well, you know, justice is justice and the legal system works how it is. So you, nothing you can do, but it's just like, yes, but this man's just going to keep hurting children, you know? Yeah. Um, but then the argument could be made, it's like. Well, you could just keep a closer eye on your kids. Yeah. There's an option, um, and so yeah, there. I do find it interesting the role that the parents play in this film because mm-hmm. I think, I think as they go on in the series, I think it becomes very much just about the kids, and that's basically it. Yeah. But um, but the idea of you know the sins of the fathers being visited on their children, I think that's a neat idea. Um, it's it's just a it, it's a very it's a very effective concept for a film, and I think the execution is is remarkably interesting
1: yeah um and there's there, there's one note i wanted to say that you that you thought you brought up a good point that the parents almost seemed by by killing fred kruger the the human being mm-hmm. therefore creating fred kruger the the dream monster Um, the, by killing him, it almost seems they could, in the mind of these fictional parents, they could be saying like, we're protecting our children, we're safeguarding our children. But the ironic thing about that, especially as the film plays out, is that the one thing parents distinctly and definitively never do is protect their children by believing them when they say something's after us in our dreams. They're consistent. Like, the parents, to an almost comical level, are continually trying to get their kids to go to sleep. Yeah. When the kids are constantly saying, I mean, Nancy pulls a hat out of the dream world, and yet these adults will not believe them that something weird is happening in their nightmares. And it's fascinating to me, uh, just on a completely different level of they had their very strict definition of, and this this could even connect back to a certain degree to the nightmare as well, that when you have your very specific idea of, well, no, it can only be this thing, this is the way it has to be resolved, right. this is the way it has to be taken care of, and you don't entertain the possibility that things are going on beyond your understanding yeah. things might be taking place that are beyond you if you don't entertain that notion then you actually might wind up doing uh, ultimate harm yeah. a, or at the very least more harm than than you would have if you would simply accept uh it's a side note but i love referencing it uh one of my favorite books ever by anybody is something wicked this way comes hmm. and one of the one of the specific That's reason, by ray bradbury ray bradbury Um, And one of the reasons that I love it so much, one of a multitude, but one of the reasons I love it so much is because it's the only instance I can think of in horror literature where uh, young teenage children tell a father in his 50s, there is a nightmarish supernatural thing going after us, and the father immediately believes them. Hmm. Does not... Balk at them just just because of his, the way he sees the world and because of the love that he has for and the connection he has with his child, um, he automatically believes them and joins the fight against it. It's a beautiful thing, but it so rarely happens. It doesn't happen at all in Nightmare on Elm Street. And when we as the viewers are watching the nightmare, we may have any number of degrees of responses. They have all kinds of you know resolve to well, we're either going to have to live with this forever or we're going to have to fight it. This you know specific way um and i think again with you know with nightmare on elm street completely fictional but there's some definite themes of you need to recognize when something is beyond your capacity to understand and control and you might have to lean on something uh uh, bigger or greater uh, or at least think outside of the box of your own understanding it's something that i think religious and non-religious thinkers all have a problem with Mm -hmm. that it's like you have your box of how you see the world and you dismiss anything that doesn't enter into this singular box yeah um and i think that's naive and i think it's dangerous to to always to to never entertain the possibility to be very specific about what i think is dangerous to never entertain the possibility that you may not understand everything that's going on
0: So you're saying that in the world of A Nightmare on Elm Street, if someone were to make a documentary about Fred Krueger that really tried to recreate the experiences of these teenagers, maybe then these parents would finally start empathizing with their kids and actually do something about it. At least they'd take him to the circus or something. At the very least. That's a weird place to go, but sure. (laughs) Yeah, let's go to the circus to not be scared. Good call. Good call. Nothing, everything is nice and pure about the circus. No, no clowns, nothing. Um, so, and you know, I'll, I'll use that to to transition us into a, a brief discussion of theme. Um, yeah, one thing that strikes me as interesting, a common theme, now not everybody says it, but a lot of people do. The thing about sleep paralysis, in the eight people, in this in this very small sampling of people, but people, you know from de- very different walks of life you know different uh nationalities different genders um one thing that pops up a fair amount is how much these people are pushed towards the spiritual mm. whether it be chris saying i stopped being an atheist yeah whether it be i don't remember his name i want to say it's jeff but i might be wrong um he has a bit of sleep paralysis where, uh, everything is going crazy and it's almost like he's in the midst of an earthquake and he, he basically prays, uh, which is something that he mentioned doing before, but he prays, God, please help me. And then feels himself being basically quickly dragged back to his bed. And then he wakes up and everything's fine. Yeah. Or, uh, or forest, uh, Experiencing this uh, this thing where uh, demons are called out as demons. Right. Or, most notably, this woman I, whose name is, I, I believe, is Connie, hmm. um, who experiences a particularly horrifying bit of sleep paralysis. Yeah. Where she's turned on her side in bed and a demon... Uh, as far as she know, as far as she's concerned, a demon is laying next to her, screaming in her ear, yeah. and not knowing what to do. And she basically, not a Christian at all, says, "Hey, I seem to recall there's this guy named Jesus, and his name yeah. apparently has some kind of power." I, I love that you just how somebody arrives at this. Like, okay, hang on now. Someone at some point in my life said that there's a guy named Jesus and that his name means something. Look, I've tried everything else. Why not give this a shot? Yeah. And just literally just saying like, in the name of Jesus, go away, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and then it goes away and never comes back. Yeah. She's cured. She's basically cured. Mm hmm. Rodney, as the interviewer and as the filmmaker, does nothing to undercut this. No. Mm. Does nothing to cast any aspersions, does not suggest that she is lying and that perhaps she does experience this. Right. Um, but she's not telling anybody because that would not help out her story. Hmm. Um, he he does not suggest any of that. He takes it at face value. hmm And I have tremendous respect for Rodney for doing that. Again, I don't know what his religious beliefs are. Yeah. Um, I don't assume that he's a Christian um, or I guess I don't assume that he's not. um, But I appreciate that he, that he is so empathetic towards everybody Mm -hmm. that he does not undercut anybody. Right. Whether it be Forrest's story or her story, he will take them all equally seriously. Mm -hmm. because almost this idea of like, who am I to say that what this person experienced is silly. Yeah. Um, And so uh, it's, and and the idea that like, that Connie's story is so towards the end, which it makes sense because, you know, up and from a, from a storytelling standpoint, as far as filmmaking, you know, you want something at the end to be different. Right. You want there to be some level of triumph, and hers is definitely a triumph. Mm-hmm. But what I think is so interesting is, like, she's not a Christian up until that point. Only when this happened does she become one. Right, And, you know, speaking as a Christian, I look at that and think like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. My So, third time watching, I was watching with a fr- an old friend of mine. We've been friends for, at this point, 23 years, and... We were talking afterwards and we were talking about like, well, there's also this other woman who, who experienced, you know, her mother coming in mm-hmm. and comforting her and just feeling so good about that. Um, but then she also says that like her mom has come to her other times, Yeah. but then other times, but then still other times her mom will appear, but she knows it's not her mom. Yeah. And she's like, I can just feel that's that it's not her. It's mm-hmm. something else. And so, even people that, like, acknowledge a spiritual quality to it and will pray about it and, and that sort of thing, um, there's no, like, guarantee of results or anything like that. And so, I don't know. The, the, it's so fascinating to me just how much the nightmare delves into the spiritual. Um, not – I don't think necessarily because Rodney wanted it to, but because you got to go where these people go and often they go there. Yeah. And which I think invites a discussion of that. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to have necessarily an in-depth discussion about demons and such. Right. But at the end of nightmare on Elm street, Nancy wins Mm -hmm. in a way that many people might view as anticlimactic. Hmm. and while the film ultimately ends in a way that basically just says like all right, we need a sequel Um,
1: Craven never liked he's on record that he never liked that ending
0: yeah that's Bob Shea that is and you know what it's a good instinct uh, filmically because here come the sequels um, but but from a storytelling standpoint it, it doesn't work very well and it winds yeah. up not being very satisfying because the way nancy defeats freddie seems like such a such definitive way which is i am not going to give you any power i'm going to rob you of your power i'm yeah. not going to give you any energy you have no power over me mm-hmm. essentially is what she's saying and in doing so freddie ceases to have any power over her yeah. he feeds on fear mm-hmm. you know and so I don't know, so I wanted to talk about that, and I wanted to talk about, you know, Connie saying, uh, invoking something that's more powerful than her in order to fight this thing that seems more powerful than her, even though she doesn't even completely know, or maybe even completely believe, that Jesus existed, right? much less was the Son of God or anything like that. So, I wanted to kind of talk about spiritual warfare and what we can... You know, recognizing it where it is, mm-hmm. you know, and we're going to probably use the word oppression mm-hmm. uh, a little bit. And uh, and we've passed uh, your your heart out, so we want to try and uh, we'll keep it kind of short. That, that's fine. That's fine. But, um, you know, this is something that you have been thinking about quite a bit. Yes. Um, partially because the movies that you like, the books that you've read and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. It's a thing I don't think about. I'm going to say enough. Hmm. I need to think about it more because I do believe that there is a yin to the yang. I believe that, or a yang to the yin, however you want to look at it. <laughs> I do believe in that. I do believe that God has our best interests at heart, but that there is an entity that I will go ahead and call Satan. I know that that's probably going to turn some people off hmm. um, that does not have that, that does want to rob us of joy yeah. and energy and energy and hope Mm -hmm. because if you have no joy, if you have no hope, then you're not going to do any good in this world. You're going to maybe try to hunker down and just sort of exist and get whatever you can. You're not going to have, and you probably won't have anything left for anybody else. Yeah. And so, so you will then be rendered basically useless and ineffective. Yeah. And so, So, I guess I was—I would ask you, you know, I mean, I feel like I have not really encountered – I've never encountered a situation where like, you know, a, a demonic possession or anything like right, this. Right, Um. I don't think I've ever come out of a nightmare feeling like I'd had an encounter with a demon or anything right,
1: like that. Right, right.
0: But I do want to get to this notion of oppression. Mm-hmm. That I have experienced. Yeah. Whether it be – Just like, uh, it's something that has come about. So I'm part of a men's group Bible study that's been going at this point for many years. And there have been times when I, as either just a member of the group or or now one of the leaders, where I just, I don't want to go. I feel like we're all just spinning our wheels. I resent the people in the group. I feel like they hate me as a leader and that no good can come from this. And why don't we just quit? You know, none of us are getting anything. Like, it's just, I, I arrive with such a negativity. Mm-hmm. Um, from some, and I arrive to a place that I have in the past gotten so much out of and other people as well. Um, and there have been more, there's been more than one occasion when somebody in group also says like, hey, I'm feeling something here. Yeah. And they will usually use the word oppression or they will use the word attacked. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like we're really attacked right now. It's like, and they say, I feel like maybe we should pray right now Mm -hmm. over how we're all feeling because this isn't how we should be feeling.
1: Yeah.
0: We are amongst people that we love, people that we trust, Mm -hmm. and we are talking about. God, an all powerful, all loving God, and yet somehow we are only thinking in negative terms and we're only feeling negative terms, not me, and we feel like God is nowhere around, and we are feeling hostile towards one another. And I myself am so quick to put that down to, you know, my own depression or just human nature. Yeah. But it might not hurt, you know, you were talking about like the parents in Nightmare on Elm Street who just say like, ah, you're just, you know, it's like, ah, you're, you're just depressed. You know, <laughs> you're just, you're just having a bad day um, and not thinking outside the box, even though as a Christian, I'm supposed to think outside the box yeah, a little bit. Right. Um, but I honestly, I, as I've said before, when we've talked about the conjuring and stuff, um, I'm so reluctant culturally to sound to sound a certain way like Mm. some kind of fire and brimstone preacher talking about demons and stuff i'm so reluctant to do that that i actually have started to i think um ingest some of that culture just in my own spiritual life and don't put anything down to spiritual spiritual warfare Mm. and so i feel like i need to recognize it where it is you know for what it is pardon me yeah And I guess when you look at it, that, that's kind of what these two movies are about is recognizing that this is, that it's a thing. It's a thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and then to respond to it the right way. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, when we're dealing with the nightmare, it's arguable. What is the right way? Though it could be noted that one, only one of the eight people has conquered it. Got free from it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, you know what, yeah, I won't say conquered it because it 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 it, it wasn't her that conquered it. I think by her own mm. admission, it was only when she went to something else that she was then, as you say, she got free from it, yeah, she right. you know she made a wise decision, but mm. she's not the one that like willed this thing away from her right, right, and so so I've been talking for a while. This like these are the things that I think when I watch mm. The Nightmare and a Nightmare on Elm Street is you know acknowledging what spiritual warfare is and the role that it plays. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm taking Connie's story from The Nightmare and I'm taking Nancy's story from A Nightmare on Elm Street, it's literally I see what you're look, looking at. You can say Satan or whatever you want to say. Say I see what you're doing, and I know what your goal is, and I'm not going to let you do it. Yeah. But I also don't really have the power to fight you, so I'm going to bring in somebody that does and somebody that has. Yeah. And but it, but to me, a big part of it is first acknowledging, oh, there's something there's something going on here. Mm-hmm. There are no there are not simply two parties, me and God. Yeah. There is a third party that wants to keep those two, the the first two parties apart. Yes. So that's what I think of, mm-hmm. and what I, what I also need to acknowledge is that there is, as she says, there is power in the name of Jesus because there is power in Jesus because we do serve and believe and wor- believe in and worship a powerful God, yeah. and I feel like one thing that culture and certainly I think Hollywood has put out there is that because God is just like, you know, it's nice and, you know, it's just angels playing harps that there's no, that it's not, if you'll pardon me, that it's not really badass and tough. Yeah. Whereas demons and Satan, they're tough hmm. and they're awesome and they're awesome. They tend to be better, uh, have better costumes and makeup. Hmm. Um, and so I think we, we tend to look at God as, as particularly neutered. Yeah. But if you look at, if you look in the Bible, at any time Jesus encounters a demon, there is a boldness there, and a willing a willingness to a to acknowledge what it is, and a boldness in dealing with it, yeah, and an ability to deal with it. And we don't have that power; he does. But we have access to that to that power. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, so that is that's the stuff that I get out of this. Yeah. And I know, listeners, if you're not a Christian, I know that you you are probably cringing at <laughs> everything that I am saying. Um. And, but I'll say this, I'm not going to apologize for it. No, nor should you. Because this is what I believe. And mm. it's a thing that I, that I frankly, I need, I need to believe harder because in believing it, it will actually drive me more towards Jesus
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, as a refuge. Yeah. Um I'm sorry. I've been talking for a while. I'm going to throw it to you.
1: No, that's fine. That's fine. Um, I have a, a multitude of thoughts, as, as, as usually happens uh, when I have a large string of thoughts. I'm, I'm probably going to miss uh, most of them. But um, first thing that I want to say, it, specifically to people uh, who, who aren't, maybe you are completely um, uh, non— uh, religious in your thinking, and you don't believe in God, you don't believe in angels or demons or anything of the sort, um, and you may think that we, that Tyler and I are just sort of on the lunatic fringe by even entertaining these notions or using this language, um, I, I just want to say uh, to them or to Christians who, and there are a surprising amount of Christians who do not believe in in that third party, as, yeah, as you would say, that, it, that it's purely it's just us and God and and um, and it's really just about bad things people do and, and mm-hmm. that there is no, you know, devil or, or evil force or anything like that. And I don't want to necessarily downplay human
0: nature either. No. Yeah, uh, I, have, I have some thoughts yeah, on that. OK, sorry.
1: Um, no, but just uh, basically to, to them, I definitely want to say, like, you know, every human being um, believes that what they believe is the truth. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody does. Um, you don't hold, unless unless you are genuinely insane, and I'm not dismissing that or making fun of that, unless you genuinely have a mental illness, everybody b- holds beliefs that they think are true, mm-hmm. that they believe are true. Um, so, I'm going, I, the reason I don't think you should apologize is because you're, you're. Postulating something that you believe to be true, um, just as uh, people who don't believe in God or don't believe in the supernatural realm would do the same exact thing. Right. Um, and I think we have to have freedom and respect for one another as human beings to be able to state what we believe openly and respectfully. That having been said, getting into some specifics about what I believe about spiritual warfare, there's a verse that I lean on that was actually, it's in John chapter three, if I, if my memory serves, because I believe it's in the context of Jesus telling Nicodemus, uh, one of the members of the Sanhedrin, about being born again. Mm -hmm. But it's a verse that, as I do oftentimes with many verses, uh, that I have broadened my application to and it has helped me understand other aspects of, of theology. He says to Nicodemus, that which is of the flesh is flesh, and that which is of the spirit is spirit. And again, he's talking about Jesus in that context is specifically talking about salvation. But I think about that in terms of the nightmare, in terms of Nightmare on Elm Street, which is of course completely fictional, um, and then I think about it in terms of spiritual warfare. And I think that um, you have to have some balance in your thinking that... One thing that people tend to do is if you believe in spiritual warfare and acknowledge spiritual warfare, then every single argument you have with your spouse, every single disagreement you have with a friend, every single headache, every single bad day, then gets chalked up to, well, that is the devil. right? And that is spiritual warfare. And you're not acknowledging the simple fact that you have... Quarrels that you have sin in your life, right. that you have things that you, you are not perfect, and yeah. that you don't have a handle on every single aspect of everything, and you're not. You don't always treat people well, yeah. and you, even if you're a good person, and even if you try your best to do the right thing by everybody, you don't always get it right. Mm-hmm. You just don't. And um, I think some. I think we have to have some balance that, like, there are things which are perfectly natural in explanation, and that's why I'm a big believer in. Uh, like uh, psychologists and and therapy and in and, and the, and the general work obviously there's bad apples in every bunch uh, whether you're dealing with preachers or therapists or doctors or, or mechanics or anything. Mm-hmm but uh but i i believe in those things as beneficial tools to help us understand like hey there's good psychological science out there that may be able to explain something uh, that will help you get a handle on this that purely spiritual language will not get you there right but what happens then is if that's helpful then people will tend to adopt that and then they'll just throw out all this spiritual language and then and then just move forward in their lives pretending uh, or, or, or acting as if there is no, you know, supernatural force that could be capitalizing on some of these psychological realities, or capitalizing on some of these um, very naturalistic things that happen, and that's that's part of what I believe about spiritual warfare. Is I believe that, you know, you mentioned oppression earlier. I think what happens is. I pers- I'm i going to talk about my own neuroses. I personally have a tendency towards paranoia and mm-hmm. thinking that every whispered conversation in the room is about me and right. negatively about me. So if I'm pe- feeling particularly vulnerable for one reason or another, and then I th- I feel like the enemy of my soul will seize that opportunity and then will will take it to an an exponential degree to where now it's like, well, now I'm getting snippy and I'm reading things into what my wife said, my wife who is for me and who is, who wants what's best for me and is only trying to be loving to me. But now I will read things into what she's saying and take them to a place that is very harmful to me, harmful in the moment to our marriage, maybe not ultimately to our marriage, but you know, then, then those kinds of nasty things will begin to, to creep up and my responses will be more embittered and more angry. And, and all of those things will begin to, to rise up. Uh, uh, Forrest in the nightmare yeah. says towards the end. It's in that. It's part of that story we keep referencing. He says fear empowers bad things. Yeah. and and when he says that, it's it, it's an it, again Nancy in Nightmare on Elm Street defeats Freddy Krueger by basically taking back the fear that he's instilled in her, and that right. maintains somewhat in the mythology even. <laughs> As much as I love Freddy versus Jason, that's that's the premise of Freddy versus Jason is that people have forgotten Freddy, so he has no power anymore. Right. So he ra- wakes up Jason to go kill people and blame it on him, so that he can get power again. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's a side tangent. Um, the, but like, if you go with this idea of fear empowering bad things, and that if it can get you afraid, one of the reasons I love horror films, but one of the reasons why. I don't recommend that everybody watch them, and I'm protective of, say, my wife or of my friends who are particularly susceptible to horror films. And I tell them, I'm like, listen, if this is going to instill more fear in you, if it's going to expand fear in your mind, then you, then maybe it's not something you should be watching. But for me, and for people I think who um, are, 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 are have a similar mindset that I do. Um, these horror films help us compartmentalize this fear and help us to actually kind of understand it better so right. that, so we can deal with it better. And the verse, though I couldn't quote you chapter and verse of where it's found, uh, but I think it's in First John, talks about uh, that there is no fear in love. Mm-hmm. And that perfect love drives out fear. This image being that like, okay, well, if you have this idea that fear, if you concentrate on fear, it will eradicate all of the things that are, you know, your joy, your peace, your hope, your love, but that once you then again tap into the source of love, which I believe to be Jesus Christ, then you, then that love will drive out almost like an eviction notice to right. these things that you are afraid of and these things that are oppressing you and crippling you. So, if fear empowers bad things, then love, I'm, I'm speaking in a very specific sense about the love of God, um, empowers good things in your life. And you know, it's interesting.
0: People would, I think most people would say, like, well, what's the opposite of love? And it's hate. And while I do understand that, uh, I feel like a lot of people would not immediately see fear and love as somehow related, even if like opposites. Right. Um, but when you think about it, fear is anxiety. It's not, know- I think a lot of fear is based in not knowing something mm-hmm. i don't know what's going to happen right or i you know i'm afraid that it, it could be i'm afraid someone's going to break into my house and kill me or i'm afraid that my wife is not going to love me yeah. if she found out blah 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 um it's not knowing and of course what a phrase that is used a lot in christianity is blessed assurance mm and so when you you talk about being re, you know you talk about being reassured in love mm-hmm. you know and what what love is what perfect love is obviously is the idea it's like you the things you the things you need to know will cover all the things you don't know mm-hmm. you uh, you know that god loves you and will never stop loving you nothing you can do will stop him from loving you literally mm-hmm. nothing um and that will cover you through a lot. And even if it's even if it's I'm afraid someone's going to break into my house and kill me. God says, "Yes, I love you and I and I sent my son to die for you and you believe that." So even if that were to happen, you're still with me.
1: Yeah.
0: It might be terrible in the moment, don't get me wrong. Right. But yeah. afterwards, you're you're with me. Mm-hmm. you're I'm assuring you of that, so there might be a little bit of unknown, but ultimately there it is a known, and that is that you are with me mm-hmm. and that that will assuage uh, lessen or assuage your fear if not get rid of it completely mm-hmm. um and I say that as somebody who I, I am also a fairly fearful person, I'd say, especially socially um but I think often what hap- the reason that I am fearful is because I lack perspective. I think mm-hmm. in the short term and not the long term, yeah. you know. And it's that idea of if God is for us, who can be against us? And that when I think of if God is for us, who can be against us? Like that is maybe one is one of the most emboldening verses I've I can think of. Yeah, it's one that I don't think of enough. You know. Who, it's a, We're talking about God, the creator of the universe, and some, some guy on the internet saying bad things about me. Mm-hmm. I give that priority.
1: Right. You right. know?
0: A giant tarantula walking towards me. I'm scared of that. Mm-hmm. The answer is, of course, yes. They are monsters. Mm-hmm. But that can't... And, of course, in the moment, you're going to react how you react. It, it happens. But letting that dictate how you react to things you know it, it's not that it negates god's love or that it pushes it to the side it's that it, in that moment you're forgetting what that what that love is and what that what it means mm-hmm. which is that that idea of assurance and that you don't need to be scared fear not you know yeah and that sort of thing so i'm sorry i, I derailed
1: us a little no bit. no that's fine and i think gosh uh God does not want, I, if I believe anything about the character and nature of the God that I serve, he does not want us to be afraid. Yeah, He does not want us to live in fear. And I think that so many people do. One of the things that frustrates me no end, and this is a side tangent, I refuse to take us down, but I will make a, a statement uh, somewhat boldly, is some of the fear-mongering that happens from the mouth of Christians. Sure, I mean, I find it frankly offensive. Uh, if, if you're a Christian listening to this podcast and you fostered that, I love you. I want to talk to you about it, but please stop spreading this notion that we have anything to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. There, is, there is nothing to be afraid of because even, is a little bit of a bold statement, but I heard a preacher say that um, the worst thing that could possibly happen has already happened. Mm-hmm. God died. And the best thing that could ever possibly happen has already happened. He came back, and so that it, 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 all of these other things. If we're talking about perspective in that kind of context, we need not fear. Like one of the things that frustrates me is 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 sort of the the we're talking about these things that haunt us in our dreams and everything, and and uh, you know people are afraid of who's going to be elected next, or they're afraid of, that the world is going to end, or they're afraid of all these. Kind of, and I can understand. Uncertainty. I can mm-hmm. understand disappointment, and I can understand like, "Hey, this is a bad direction. I don't want us to go in this bad direction, or I don't want this bad thing to happen." Right. That's perfectly natural. But I, I really wish that I could that I could make most and myself included, most of us as Christians have a call to stronger witness of the love that drives out the kind of fear. Like we're we're we are testifying as witnesses to God's love. Mm-hmm. And our word, you know, his word tells us, the word that we've been given, that we are supposed to spread, is that perfect love drives out fear. Yeah. So, so we should be calling people to more boldness, to to, uh, greater standards, not to be giving over to, uh, you know, like the, whether it be something as uh, specific as sleep paralysis or, or these sleep disorders or something as specific as like, you know, fantasy monsters mm-hmm. <laughs> that 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 aren't even real. Uh, but I feel like so many times we as Christians will have a tendency to fall into that pattern where we're like giving fear more power. Yeah. by saying like, oh, it's going to be the worst thing ever if this happens and this is going to be, you know, this is going to be terrible if this comes to our doorstep or if this happens or if that happens. And I don't know, Tyler. It just it just really gets under my skin when I think about the fact that if, again, to quote the nightmare, if fear empowers bad things, then why are we planting seeds of fear in yeah. the minds and hearts of of anybody, whether that be you know threatening or whether that be. Uh, Uh, something that because we're just generating our own fear because we're generally very afraid, you know, in those cases, I'm like, go to the scriptures, go to, and I never understand that some people read the book of revelation and get absolutely terrified about some of the things that you're reading. But I really believe as bold as I can put it, that if you, if you read the scriptures with a prayerful heart, and if you ask God for help in dealing with fear, whether it be from fear from a tangible experience like and I am I keep rooting it back to like sometimes there are unexplained experiences that you're like, hey, I don't know how to deal with this specific thing. I'm not just talking about fear in general. I don't know how to deal with sleep paralysis. I don't know how to deal with you know with a, a, a pervasive fear of losing my family or, or whatever it is. Yeah. If you need help in dealing with those things, I, I say, reach out to the Lord and and say like hey, I need to experience more. Of of your love and your grace in my life, because right now I'm terrified of this thing and it's crippling me, and I can't function because I can't get in. I can't get any peace. I can't get free from this thing that's just you know like the cat sitting on the on the chest. Like yeah. I, I can't I can't get up from it. I can't uh, set my heart and my mind free on my own. And I think you'll find that if you if you give it a chance that there's some incredible freedom to be had and and a a better life to be lived, even if your circumstances don't even change at all. And, you know, when you think about it, one one aspect of the film that I thought was
0: fascinating uh, is they talk about in the film the idea that sleep paralysis is somehow infectious. Mm, The idea that when you tell somebody about it, they suddenly have it, yeah. and I remember when I watched that, I was like, "Rodney, what are you doing? <laughs> Why'd you make if, some, a- <laughs> if somebody says this, why don't you stop making your movie right now?" <laughs> yeah, um, seriously, but uh, but that's true. I think fear definitely is infectious. But I also think that love is, you yes. know, it's, and I know a lot of that, you know, when you when you start talking about love and then you start talking in, in grand terms, I think people roll their eyes a little bit. But sure. I think it is true sure. this idea, you know, it's why as bad as the movie is, the concept of paying it forward is so attractive to people. Mm-hmm. The idea that something good was done for me and now I'm going to do something good for somebody else. Yes, uh, not because you know I'm a, I'm afraid of anything, but because. I I feel so overwhelmed with blessing that I want other people to feel this as well. Um, And by the way, that, that same instinct of like, I'm, I I think you, you find it with a lot of bullies, honestly, this idea of I'm so scared. I'm so insecure they might not know this, but I'm so insecure that I'm going to make somebody else feel like this as well. So I'm not so alone or so at the very least, I have a certain degree of control over somebody else because I lack it so much in myself. And so, but love can work that way as well. Um, And that is, and so many people would say that Christianity is, is by its very nature, fear mongering. It's the idea of a Hmm. fear of hell and that, and then by even acknowledging the concept of hell that we're just playing on people's fears it's like well i mean i i can see where you're coming from in that regard but it's more just like you can say hell or you can just say like the natural con- the natural spiritual consequences of how we all are mhm now if you want to look at it like that i think that's a thing that people can understand in general yeah um, because but there's this, but if you, so if you want to look at it as fearful, I, I can understand where you're coming from. But if you also want to look at it as you are imprisoned, you are, if you want to go, so if you want to incorporate it into this episode, you are paralyzed hmm. by your own nature, by your own sin, and by the consequences of those sin. It's yeah. natural. It ha- It's just there. You're born into it, but there is freedom in this love, you mm-hmm. know? Lo- love sets you free quite literally, quite literally. Yeah. And so um, and that and that is the that is the nature of God is to love and to free us from the fear of the consequences coming back on us. Yeah, um, there are still obviously be worldly consequences and that sort of thing. But from a spiritual standpoint, it's about reconciliation and as opposed to I think fear drives us to be as we were talking about before to feel alone yeah and and to feel like nobody is with us whether nightmare on elm street our parents don't believe us we're on our own mm -hmm. whereas in sleep paralysis nobody believes me the doctor just says oh i need to change my lifestyle he doesn't even he doesn't even know what my lifestyle is and he says i need to change it i'm alone Mm -hmm. i'm completely alone that's what fear is. Whereas love brings you together with other Christians, with other people, and with God. Yeah. And you feel like you are not alone. Yeah. And when you, when you, there, there's safety in numbers, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm quoting a lot of cliches today. I apologize. <laughs> I but, felt the um, same way. But like, lo- you know, love will bring you together with other people and then. You will feel safe. And at the very least, even if other people aren't around, you have God and you will feel safe. And mm-hmm. there is no reason to fear. And yeah. I'm going to say we got it, we need to end. So I'm gonna this is gonna be the last thought. All right. Fellow Christians, I realize that this is at the end of an episode, so you probably don't need to be told this. This is why horror movies are important. <laughs> this is why we do halloween times yeah because these are the things we need to think about these are the thoughts we need to have Mm -hmm. we need to talk about we need to confront fear we need to look at what we're afraid of yes and we need to put it in perspective we need to fight that with what we know is true exactly um but as uh at the at the most recent at the panel at Alpha MegaCon as Bill Oberst was talking about as an actor who acts in horror films a lot of the time his priority is to is to face fear and horror and evil as head on as he can so that yeah. he knows exactly what he's dealing with yeah exactly and uh, i thought that was such an amazing concept hmm. and one that i think that we could probably embrace and part of that means if if you're if you're a scared person and you would feel oppressed by a horror film, that's I understand
1: that. Sure, but sure. but at
0: the same time, to dismiss the entire horror genre as being irredeemable and just garbage is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it it, it really it really is, and I, I think it needs to I think it needs to be stated. Uh, just kind of been burning in me for the last ten minutes or so. It's like that 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 voice, that evil voice, that tells you you're alone, uh, that you are uh, worthless, that you have no value, that you have no contribution to make, that you mean nothing, and that God does not love you. It is a liar. Mm-hmm. Like it, it is a it is purely a liar. And one of the things that is so valuable about horror films and the horror genre is because it helps you to see what. Just just what um, it basically helps you to have some literary terms or some uh, some some visual terms, sometimes uh, some sort of metaphor to be able to wrap your head around it and go, you you are wrong. Mm-hmm. you are you you say, I'm ugly, I'm unloved. Uh, it, you know, to quote the exorcist, to, to make us reject the possibility that God could love us. That's the source of the attack. Like, you you tell me that God does not love me. You are a liar. Yeah. And you tell me that I'm alone and that I don't amount to anything and that that I have no contribution to make. You are a liar. And um, it, it is. Thinking about these things sometimes does get into some some bold language and possibly some language that's uncomfortable for people who don't adopt it frequently, but I think it's a vitally important thing to remember. Absolutely. Boy, oh boy. What an, uh, what a, what an in-depth conversation to (laughs) be had
0: from the nightmare. Um, But I think it's, I think it's a, it's a film that, that does get strangely philosophical at times. And Mm -hmm. so I, I think we are not out of, uh, out of line talking about these things in response to the nightmare. So listeners, if you've heard all this, (laughs) And you haven't watched The Nightmare. First off, that's weird, especially since it's so readily available. But if you have not seen it, go watch it. Again, it's on Netflix right now. Watch and enjoy Um if you have any comments, uh, feel free to leave it in the uh, in the post for this episode. You can email me Tyler at MoreThanOneLesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at more lessons. You can like us on Facebook. Uh, Reed, you are on Twitter as, as well. I am right? just uh, just at Reed Lackey. At Reed Lackey. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think this is about it. Um, next week we are going to be talking about the babadook so that is also on netflix watch that as well in preparation and in the meantime uh thank you all for listening reed thank you so much for being here thanks for having me and we'll get you next time bye